morning. Welcome to Word of Life Chapel this morning. I hope you're a little warmer than what you've been in the past couple weeks, how cold it's been out, but we just thank the Lord for another day to rejoice in Him together. Um, a couple of announcements to share with you this morning as we begin our service. Uh, Mike Snavely, February 24th to 25th, there's a Saturday dinner. Um, you can find out more about Mike by visiting the website missionimperative.org. So uh, it's going to be a great time, uh, but definitely encourage you to check out that website. After the service today, there is a 2018 business meeting where the 2018 budget is presented. Um, all are welcome and encouraged to stay after the service this morning. Um, the youth group is going to be having a spaghetti dinner fundraiser on February 3rd. It's spaghetti dinner meal. There's no cost. You come and the, the teens will serve you and uh, have a little basket out for donations that will help with different events and trips that they'll go on throughout the year. But February 3rd at 5 o'clock. February 3rd at 5 o'clock. And, and you'll hear more about that next week. We'll even have a sign-up sheet out for you as well. Um, there are some cookbooks that are left over. If you did not get a church cookbook when they came out the last time, we have extras. Um, if you could see either Amanda Lebo or Sharon Warner, either one of them, and they'll, they'll hook you up with a cookbook. Let's open our service in prayer this morning. Great God, we are so thankful that we can gather together in your name. Lord, we are here for you. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as Dean's coming up, I have one more announcement to share with you. I totally forgot. The New Testament reading, New Testament challenge. I hope you're continuing to stick with the scriptures. This is just my little encouragement, my pump up for you. Keep doing it. Keep reading. Um, the blogs are up. This week was just me. Next week you're going to have to see other people that are going to be writing about different scriptures that we are reading through together as a church. As a matter of fact, the, you can see on the blog website where people read from, right? Not your address and your home or anything like that, um, but, but United States. Uh, we've had people read from the United States, from Sweden, from Peru, from Bolivia. Um, and so as you share things on Facebook and you like things on Facebook, people see that. And then your friends will read things. So you, you don't know the reach that you're having merely by liking something on Facebook and sharing something. So encourage you to continue getting in the Word.
pride of the world. May he forever reign. Let's stand up. Uh, take a few moments to step out, turn around, shake a hand. Welcome those around you to our service this morning. Okay, I invite you to take your hymn book now, if you would, and turn with me to hymn number 32. Hymn number 32, How Great Thou Art. <laughs>
my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made. I see the star, I hear the rolling thunder, I power throughout the universe displayed. Then sing my soul, my Savior God, to how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God, a son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce could take it in. That on the cross my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. Christ shall come in humble acclamation and takes me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul. My Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou few folks that we uh, need to pray for this morning. Uh, let me just look at our, the list that is in front of you. 
Uh, Len Roadcap, keep him in prayer. He continues to remain in the Harrisburg Hospital for a kidney infection. Uh, Joanne, um, she's now at the Susquehanna Village. Now it's called Premier uh, Susquehanna or Premier, Premier Village, something like that. Um, but she's up in Millersburg. And Ada Schuffhauser, um, she fell, uh, broke her hip, had surgery to replace it. And she's also at the, is it the Premier at Susquehanna? Premier at Susquehanna. All right. All these name changes. You know, we were talking uh, earlier, or uh, Pastor Antonio and I were talking about the, the osteopathic hospital being now the community general. You know, they change these names, and then you still know it by what it was. Um, anyway, please keep these folks in prayer. Also, uh, this past Wednesday, George Westfall had back surgery. Uh, so keep George in your prayers as well. Um, again, many on the list. Uh, please use this as uh, a prayer guide so that you might be able to bring these folks before the Lord. And so, Father, now as we come before your throne, we once again ask that, Lord, you might do above and beyond what we could even imagine or think in the lives of these folks. Father, we're thankful for the time you've given us this morning. We thank you that we have been granted the opportunity once again to be able to come together, to be able to come into this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we acknowledge this morning that you are a great and sovereign God. And we acknowledge this morning, Lord, that you are great and powerful. Nothing is impossible with you. Lord, all things you can do. We bow before you this morning, thanking you that you have revealed yourself to us in so many different ways. Father, we know that Paul tells us that as we look out into creation, Lord, we're able to see you there. For Father, the heavens declare the glory of God. We thank you that you have revealed yourself and what you have made. We also thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself in your word. For the scriptures, Father, teach us about you and your love for us, your love for mankind, your love for those who you have created. We thank you, Lord, for your love that sent your son Jesus into this world. And we know, Lord, according to scripture, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no man comes to the Father except through him. Father, we thank you for salvation, which is found in Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Father, I thank you for that wonderful gospel, the good news that saves us from our sins. Now, Father, I pray that you might touch and heal these folks for Len and Joanne, Lord, this couple now that has been separated, this couple, Lord, one in the Harrisburg Hospital, the other one in Millersburg. Father, I pray that in time you might bring them together once again. We pray for Ada. Lord, we know that the mind is confused. And uh, Father, now with this hip surgery, we, we ask, Lord, that you might 
help her now through rehab, strengthen her, that, uh, Father, she might be able to return home if that's according to your will. Give Kim and Don a great wisdom in making decisions, important decisions that need to be made. So we commit to you, Lord, this, this family. We think of George Westfall as well, Lord. We, we can see him almost sitting down front when he used to come. And Father, we pray now, having been involved now in this surgery and I'm sure going to have some therapy and rehab. Father, I, I imagine the journey is going to be long. But give him strength and discipline and help him through all of this. And Father, again, I commit him to you. Father, we are thankful that you brought us into this place. Well, this is the one time during the week that we come together as the body of Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that you might continue to help us to worship. Father, you just so deserve our love and our devotion, our loyalty, and our, and our worship this morning. So, Father, we thank you for your presence, knowing that when two or three or many gather together, you're right there among them. We know you're here. And I pray that your spirit might move into each heart, into our minds. Help us, Lord, to understand what you say this morning to us. Say it clearly. Move us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We continue to worship the Lord together this morning.
This world is not what it was meant to be And all this pain, all this suffering There's a better place waiting for me in heaven And every tear will be wiped away
house has the final word. you to believe that does it that the cross has the final word and whatever you're going through in your life right now whatever part of your journey you're on let me remind you that the cross has the final word that he paid it all so that we can have eternal life I love, I love each of the verses, but in the beginning, the second verse, evil may put up its strongest fight, but the cross has the final word. Let's sing that together as we close this one. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. And evil may it's strongest fight, but the cross has the final word. Let's sing that one more.
more time. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. Evil may put up its strongest fight, but the cross has the final word. Lord, we are so thankful that the cross has the final word. And Lord, we know that the enemy doesn't want us to believe that. But we know that there is victory in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we flew away. We talked about the rapture. And we said that the day is coming when Jesus will come back and we will be caught up. Jesus comes down and we go up. But we also said that when we leave, people stay. We leave our problems, but the problems on earth remain. As a matter of fact, immediately following the rapture, the problems increase in intensity and in frequency. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21, the Bible says that there will be an unequaled time of great distress and great tribulation. The only thing worse then what follows the rapture for seven years is hell itself. In Matthew chapter 24, and that's the text we're going to look at this morning, Jesus describes this, this period of time that comes after the rapture but precedes the revelation. We're looking at three events in the future during this series, the rapture, the tribulation, and the revelation. I said before that when we think of the coming of Jesus, we need to think of it in two stages, that he comes back for the church in the rapture. He then comes back in the revelation with power and great glory. Between these two, we have seven years of tribulation. And Jesus, he speaks of that in Matthew chapter 24. Now, as a church and as a Christian, uh, you are not going to be here during those seven years. Remember, we are taken up. We're caught up. So the question is, why do we need to know <laughs> what is taking place through those seven years? We're not going to be here to experience all of these things. That's true. So and let, me, let me give you a couple reasons why I believe it's important for us to know what takes place between rapture and revelation. 
Number one, if you're not a believer, and there could be this morning someone in this church, in this sanctuary, who has never trusted Christ, if you are not a believer, then you will not be caught up in the rapture and you will experience this time called tribulation. And so for you this morning, there's still time to trust Christ and not be involved in this seven years. For those of you that are Christians, you are a believer. You know without doubt. You know and have an assurance in your heart that you have, a, you have trusted Christ and you're going to be caught up. For you, there's still time to share Christ. So for the unbeliever, there's time to trust Christ. For the believer, there's still time to share Christ. Now I said last time that when we think of the rapture, there's no signs and wonders leading up to it. We are not looking for signs in the church age. We're looking for Jesus. The Bible doesn't give us signs leading up to the rapture. However, there are a lot of signs leading up to the revelation, the second coming of Christ. And we find these in Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 3 with me. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So the disciples pulled Jesus aside one day and privately they asked him this question. Jesus, when are you coming back? You said you're leaving. When are you coming back? And what are the signs of the coming, coming at the end of the age? Now we need to understand something when the disciples ask this question. I, I'm using a book by uh, Arno Gabeline, and it's entitled The Olivet Discourse, um, which are chapters 24 and 25 in Matthew. These are the words of Jesus. It's, it's a lecture on the Mount of Olives that Jesus gives to the disciples. That's what the Olivet Discourse is. He lectures the disciples on the tribulation period. But we need to understand the question that is asked by these disciples. Let me read just a few things that's stated here. The disciples, first of all, they knew absolutely nothing of the Christian age. Such an age did not even begin when they asked these questions. They did not mean a Christian age. They meant their Jewish age. All through these verses, everything is of a Jewish character. He goes on to say this. The first part of the Olivet Discourse of our Lord is, pre is a prediction of how the Jewish age will end. The disciples only knew a Jewish age. This Jewish age has not ended yet. It has been interrupted. 
Now, let me try and explain that. The church age began when? The church began in Acts chapter 2. When we go back into the Old Testament, it's all about Israel. God was dealing with these people who he called to be his own. Israel, 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 all the way through the Old Testament. Now we come to the Gospels. And it's still about Israel. Then we come to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And that's when the disciples were in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit came and filled them. And the church began. We now are in the church age. This is the age of grace. This age will end when the rapture occurs. Jesus comes back. We go up. And then God once again deals with Israel. Now we need to understand that. To understand that here are Jews asking a Jew, Jesus, about the Jewish age. And so Jesus gives the answer. They want to know about signs. The church hasn't even begun yet. So we're in the church age, and someday God is going to deal once again with the nation of Israel. But we need to understand that we now are in this parenthesis, or as Gabeline states, an interruption. We as the church, and I don't really like that word interruption, we're not really interrupting Israel's history, but we are like a gap, right? Israel in the past... We are now in the church age, we're in this parenthesis, we are going to be ushered out in the rapture, and then God is going to deal with Israel once again. So you see on the, on the screen, Old Testament, right, and we're the parenthesis, that's the church age, that's the gap, Jesus comes back, tribulation begins, it moves into the millennium. So when the question is asked by these Jews, when is the end of the age? They're not thinking the end of the church age. They're thinking, when is the end of the Jewish age? And so Jesus begins to answer the question and gives these signs to the Jews during the tribulation, during the period we call tribulation. Now let's read. Let's look at the signs that Jesus gives. Look at verse 4. So Jesus answers, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and I will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of birth pains. All of this is just the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, I'm no expert at childbirth. Uh, I'm no expert in labor pains. But I've seen it happen a couple of times. You know that commercial on TV with uh, farmer's insurance? We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've, I've seen it happen a couple of times. 
I'm no expert, but I've seen, and this is what I do know, the little I do know. It starts low, and it increases in intensity. It starts slow, but it increases in frequency. Now, Jesus says to these disciples, the tribulation is like that. It starts slow. What I just read, he says, these are just the beginning of birth pains. This is just the beginning of the tribulation period. So what does he speak of? Well, he speaks of spiritual deception is going to take place during that time. Uh, before the great deceiver, Antichrist, comes on the scene, there will be others who will do the same and try to deceive. There will be national disruption, war. You know, war has always existed, and it always will until Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes back. There will always be war. But have you ever wondered what it means, rumors of war? I was reading a man this week, and it, it just was very interesting to me, and I'll share his suggestion. He suggested that the rumors of war, he said, could it be terrorism? You can't see it, but you know it's out there. They don't wear uniforms or carry a flag. They strike at innocent civilians to inflict fear. And then we have the physical destruction, the earthquakes and the famines. You know, I, it was interesting to me, um, the hurricane season this past year, and all of the hurricanes that we've seen. And by the way, these are signs during tribulation. These are not signs today that we're looking for. However, <laughs> you know, the shadow of these events to come seem to be cast over our day. And so we do see an increase in famines and earthquakes and hurricanes. Well, this uh, article went on to say, in 2017, the Atlantic hurricane season was a hyperactive, deadly, and extremely destructive season. But we would expect to see that if Jesus is coming back soon. So Jesus lists these things and says this is just the beginning of birth pains. But let's read on. Look at verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. David Jeremiah wrote a book two years ago in 2016 entitled, Is This the End? Is This the End? And he has a chapter in that book right in the very beginning entitled, The Age of Anything Goes. The Age of Anything Goes. And he refers to Noah. You know, Jesus actually speaks of Noah in verse 14 of this same chapter. No, excuse me, it's uh, down in verse 37. Matthew 24, 37, Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. 
You know, if you go back to the book of Genesis and you read what it was like in the days of Noah, in Genesis 6, 5, it says, every, inclina every inclination of the thought of the human heart was evil all the time. There were no good, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were evil 24-7. And during this time of tribulation, it's like in those days of Noah, where God looked down upon his creation and he wiped it out, except for Noah and his family. During this time, there was going to be that increase of wickedness and evil and sin that is just rampant throughout the world. Back in Revelation chapter 9, where it speaks of this time period called the tribulation, it speaks of seven top sins during these seven years. Rebellion against God, worship of demons, idolatry, murders, magic, sexual immorality, and thefts. Just worldwide. The evil, the destruction during this time is unprecedented. But there's another sign. It's found in verse 14 of Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Maybe the greatest sign of all is that the gospel will be preached throughout the entire world, and everyone will hear. Some claim that there'll be no salvation during the tribulation period. I've heard some say that if you heard the gospel before the rapture and rejected it, that you have no hope during the tribulation period. My personal opinion is I don't see scriptural evidence for either of those. It seems to me that there will be salvation during the tribulation. The gospel will be preached during the tribulation. God is going to seal 144,000 Jews. We are literalists. <laughs> when you hear people say today, oh, we're that 100, it's 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe. That's literal. And during the tribulation period, God is going to seal them, and God will protect them, and the gospel will always be spread throughout the world. But I also believe this, that if one rejects Jesus today, and the rapture occurs, and they enter into the tribulation, it's not going to be easy then, as it is today. It's easy to accept Jesus today. I say that in the sense of we as Americans, we're not being persecuted. But in that day, there's going to be great, great, great persecution. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, let me, do we not have this up? This isn't working, is it, John? Oh, it is working. Listen to what Revelation 6 says. When he opened the fifth seal, this is again a description of this tribulation period, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony 
they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. This is going to be a horrible time of people being persecuted and martyred because of Antichrist and his followers. They will not tolerate evangelism during this day. They will not tolerate people coming to Christ during this tribulation period. And they will be killed for their faith. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to receive Christ. It's always dangerous. Now listen, it's always dangerous. It's never safe to delay a decision for Christ. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what the next hour brings. What if Jesus were to come back this afternoon? Do you know in your heart that you're going to be taken and caught up to be with Jesus in the air? Do you know that? Or do you have doubts? Do you say to yourself, you know, I, I really don't know. I don't know if when Jesus comes back, if I'm going to be with him. If not, the Bible says, then you go into this period called tribulation. That's why Paul said, behold, today is the day of salvation. You don't want to delay a decision for Christ because you don't know. You say, well, maybe, I'll, maybe tomorrow or maybe next week. I'm just not ready. But what if? What if Jesus came back? You see, the Bible says we must be saved. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not an option if you want to have a relationship with, with the Father in heaven. Jesus himself said, I am the way and I'm the only way. And so, the Bible says we're to trust Christ. You know, there's really two steps in salvation. One is repentance, and that's acknowledging that, you, acknowledging that you've sinned against God. That you've fallen short. The Bible says we've all sinned. Who can deny that? Who can deny that we haven't loved God as we should? Who can deny that we haven't stolen something or, or, or we've said something we shouldn't have said? We've all fallen short of God's standard. He has this holy standard that we just don't live up to. And when we fall short and disobey, it's called sin. And that sin needs to be forgiven. And it's only forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. And so we trust Christ. We believe that he really did die on a cross. And when he did, he shed his blood so that we might be forgiven. So you repent of your sin, you acknowledge your sin, and trust Christ the best way you know how to forgive you and believe in him, receive him, and believe in his name, and you will be called the children of God. I pray that you've prayed that prayer or said that in your words, however you want to say that that you know without a doubt that you have a personal relationship with Jesus himself. You've said, God, I have sinned. I want Jesus in my life. And the Bible says when you do that, it's a, it's a, it's a decision you make. 
and it brings you right into God's family. And God gives you then the assurance that you are a child of the king. And you know that when Jesus comes back, you're going to be with him. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't wait. We're speaking of what the future holds. There's another sign during the tribulation period. It's the abomination of desolation in verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. During this tribulation period, there will be an antichrist. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. John the Apostle in Revelation speaks of him as the beast. And that's what he is. And it says that this phrase, abomination that causes desolation, was spoken through the prophet Daniel all the way back in the Old Testament. Daniel had this vision and Gabriel the angel came to Daniel one day. The same angel that came to Mary and announced her virgin birth. And Gabriel comes to the comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, their day will come when this one will stand up and be an abomination to God, the Antichrist. And the way I read all of this unfolding, the Antichrist at the very beginning of the tribulation period, um, he makes a covenant, uh, an agreement with the nation of Israel. Remember the tribulation, it's all about Israel. It's all about Israel. And he makes a covenant with Israel, the Antichrist. And he promises this nation peace and safety. We're going to be in this together. You and me, Antichrist and Israel. I'm going to guarantee you peace and safety. And they agree to that. He also allows Israel to build a temple. He also allows Israel and this temple to offer sacrifices. It's almost as though they're going back into the Old Testament days. But Antichrist is all in with the Israelites. And for three and a half years, everything goes well. There's peace and safety to the nation of Israel. Then all of a sudden, the true colors of Antichrist comes out. And he turns against Israel. He stops the sacrifices. Why would he do that? Why would Antichrist turn and make a 180? All of a sudden it appears as though he loves this nation. And now he hates this nation. You remember Rennie Showers? Remember when Rennie was here? He came and had a prophecy conference. And um, I bought his book on the book of the commentary on Daniel. And this is what he says. He says, what will motivate Antichrist to stop the Jewish sacrifices in the temple? The answer is this. The desire to be worshipped as God. At the middle of the last seven years prior to Christ's return, Antichrist will turn against any form of established worship in order to clear the way for the worship of himself. The word translated abominations means things detestable, 
What action of Antichrist will be so extremely detestable to God? After Antichrist stops the sacrifices of the future temple, he will then magnify himself to the level of deity. He will take his seat in the temple and he will announce that he is God and he will demand worship of himself by his subjects and set up some detestable thing, probably an image of himself, in the temple. Jesus seems to refer to the term abomination of desolation in Daniel 9 to this detestable thing that Antichrist will set up in the temple. From God's viewpoint, the image of Antichrist standing where only God is supposed to dwell will be the pinnacle of all human abominations against his temple. For it will represent the extreme point of man's humanistic rebellion against the sovereign God. So in the beginning, the covenant with Israel, peace and safety, and then he turns against Israel, setting himself up as God three and a half years into the tribulation period. That's why here... In Matthew chapter 24, we start to read at uh, verse 16. It says this, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one go in the field or go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for a pregnant woman and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter. Or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. And never to be equaled again. Israel's worst days are ahead. During the tribulation period. Israel's worst days are ahead. The latter part of the tribulation period is going to contain more desolation for the Jews than the Holocaust of World War II. This will be unprecedented. Why would God permit and allow this to take place to his own people? The answer is this. It's God's sovereign means of breaking Israel's stubborn rebellion shattering its unbelief, and finally bringing the nation of Israel to accept Jesus as their Messiah. God brought Jesus into the world the first time. He wanted for his nation, through the Gospels, to accept Jesus as Messiah, and the nation rejected him. But now, Jesus is taking these drastic means to bring the nation of Israel to himself. And then the final sign found in verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
This is the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus is coming, not quietly, not privately, when he comes for the church to take us to be with himself in the air. Jesus is coming publicly. He's coming openly. According to verse 27, it says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, Jesus is coming in all his power and glory. And it also says in verse 30, the peoples of the earth will mourn. Back in the book of Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, we read this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they, the Israelites, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. When Jesus comes back, Israel will mourn for what they did to Jesus. And it's at this point when all Israel, the Bible says, will be saved. As a nation, as a nation, they will accept Jesus as Messiah. Now we're going to have a look at a fuller description of the second coming of Jesus, the Revelation, next week. Because we're going to go back to the book of Revelation 19. And there we're going to look at uh, his coming back. And uh, we'll have a much more detailed uh, description of this coming of Jesus. But I conclude this morning the way I began. The reason it's important for us to know this, to know that this horrible day is approaching, is for two reasons. Two questions. Have you today received Jesus as your Savior? Have you done that? Have you trusted Christ? You see, that for you, that is the most important decision that you will ever make. To trust Christ as your personal Savior. And to know that you have a relationship with God the Father that comes through Jesus. To have the assurance in your heart of hearts that when Jesus comes back, you're going up. And you will not experience this time called tribulation. John 1.12 says, To all who receive him and believe in his name, they will be given the right to be called the sons of God. I pray that you have trusted Christ this morning. The second question is this, have you shared Jesus? You know, last week after the sermon, I was talking to two of the men, and, and um, the sermon last week kind of ended on, uh, on the same note as the sermon I preached three weeks ago. And um, even this morning, you sort of sense that we're ending on the same note that we ended on last week, and we ended on three weeks ago, and one of the men said, go ahead and repeat yourself. 
And so I appreciate the permission <laughs> to allow me to repeat myself once again. But you know, when I think of eschatology, future things, is it not for us today, the church, to begin to share Christ with people? Yes, we will leave our problems behind, but we leave people and worse problems behind. And so I ask you this morning two questions. Have you received Jesus? And have you shared Jesus? The Bible says God is he's not willing that any should perish. We ought not be willing that any be left behind. And to do what we can to bring people into the kingdom of God so that they won't have to experience these seven years of tribulation. I find myself, and maybe you find yourself in a situation where, you know, we lack a passion for the lost souls of the world. Do you feel that way? You know, I'm saved and everything's going well. We're going to close with a song this morning. And it's a song we typically close during a missionary conference. And it's the song, Give Me a Passion for Souls, Dear Lord. Give me that passion. You know, when you're passionate about something, well, you go all out. You know, I, I love to play tennis, and you know that. And if the courts were not full of snow, I'd be playing probably tomorrow morning. And I know people drive by when we're out there at 20 degree weather, and they think of us as like crazy fools. But when you have a passion for something, you'll do it, right? <laughs> you have a passion for something, nothing will stand in your way. I feel oftentimes we lack as a church, as the body of Christ, we lack a passion for souls. And so as we sing this song, we sing it as a prayer. Give me a passion for souls Dear Lord, let's stand if you would, please. Give me a passion for soul, dear Lord, a passion to save the lost. Oh, that thy love all adored and welcomed at any cost. Jesus, I long, long to be winning men who are lost, constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one, beginning the story up into town. Though there are dangers untold and stern, confront me in the way. Willingly still would I go nor turn, trust thee for grace each day. Jesus, I long be winning men who are lost 
constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one beginning the story. How shall this passion for souls be mine? Lord, make thou answer clear. Help me to throw out the old lifeline, those who are struggling near. Jesus, I long, long to be winning men who are lost, constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be a beginning the story. Father, we thank you for the gospel this morning, the gospel that saves, the good news, Lord, that brings life to people who are lost. And so I pray, Lord, that as we prayed this song, that, Father, you might help us, move us, do what it takes in us to get us out there in the world to share the love of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you've shown to us. May we show this to others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're